I probably played it quite safe when I was in my, in my youth. I worked for some large organizations, but they were very, I suppose, safe organizations and, and very little risk taking. So no regrets there. But probably had I believed in myself more at that point, I could have taken more risks and had a lot more fun. I love the SME world. It's, it's fast paced and, and vibrant. And I wish I'd probably done that earlier in my career. Hello, and welcome to the Leader Insights series, where we uncover the secrets to career and business success and gain real insight from inspirational figures across the food and drink industry. I'm your host, Jonathan O'Hagan, and my special guest today is Bruce Alexander. I'm delighted to feature Bruce on today's show as he's the managing director of Montezuma's Chocolate, one of the fastest growing SMEs around and arguably becoming Britain's most innovative chocolate brand. Described as Britain's greatest little chocolate company, Montezuma's founders, Helen and Simon, started the business back in 2000 to bring some much needed chocolate innovation to the British chocolate market. Bruce and the team have stayed unashamedly connected to the original vision and values of the founders and pride themselves on what they call business done properly, where substance wins over style and where sustainable and organic business growth wins over greed. Bruce's own career spans over 25 years, predominantly in commercial FMCG roles throughout the UK and abroad. Previous employers include United Biscuits, Nestle, and Kerry Foods, to name just a few. Now, in this episode, I'm excited to understand why Montezumas are one of the most talked about SMEs around, but also I'll tap into what Bruce describes as his people, planet and profit approach to great leadership. Bruce, it's a pleasure to spend time with you today. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Jonathan. Thanks so much for inviting me on. It's great, great to be here today. Yeah, good to see you. Bruce, really good to see you. And I, well, listen, aside from being a huge chocoholic, I'm really looking forward to understanding more about Montezuma's. As I said in the intro, one of the most talked about businesses around. I know there's a great story there and I love the way the values and and, and the vision of the business is still very much alive today. But listen, before we get into that, let me shine the spotlight on you, Bruce, if I can. Your career spans 25 years through some great organisations. So, I suppose, keen to understand first, what attracted you to a career in food and drink? And probably more importantly, what's kept you in it all these years, Bruce? So a good question. I think like many young people, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. So I ended up doing a business studies degree at Oxford Brooks Uni. And part of that was it is a four-year course, sandwich course. And I spent my third year working for McVitie's. So I suppose more by sheer luck that I got that placement, but I loved that business. And, uh, and then subsequently, once I graduated, I actually ended up going back there. So it, I suppose it was more fate. I love I love food, but it was fate really that led me back. And I stayed with them for about four years and then ended up going to Nestle for 15 years. So I suppose what's kept me in it, well, I'd, I'd done sort of 20 years. So as I said, I did 15 years with Nestle and I had an amazing time with them. I worked in New Zealand, traveled, yeah, traveled abroad and, and so on, just had a wonderful time. But I always had this sort of feeling, was there something else out there? Could I do something different? You know, it was very safe to stay with a large blue chip like, like Nestle. And I ended up doing a couple of years in the transport sector with National Express, which mm-hmm. I, I would say I enjoyed. I wouldn't say I loved. And I think that's what then when I left National Express, I came back into the food and beverage industry simply because that's where I knew my passion was. I, I think it's, uh, yeah, I've come back to where I feel most at home. <laughs> it's interesting, Bruce. I think uh, I see that so often where people 
find out what they're really passionate about by sometimes going off and doing something that they perhaps realize actually, you know what, I'm not really passionate about this. And yeah, I see that quite often, actually. And from my research I've done, you're a foodie, Bruce, aren't you? You you love the industry. You're a self-confessed chocoholic like me, I think. Is that right? I think um, I probably landed what I would describe as my dream job, definitely, in the food industry. I love chocolate. I love talking about chocolate. You know, I've worked in a few other companies where, you know, around the dinner party table, people really aren't interested in some of the products that you sell. But Everybody always has an opinion about chocolate. I've definitely landed on my feet here. Yeah, yeah, good. And your career spans, yeah, 20, 25 years. Bruce, if that doesn't age you too much. Um, <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> yeah, but um, keen to know, what do you believe, if you've reflected, I don't know, but keen to know, what do you believe have been some of the keys to your success? Are there any attributes, traits that you have pinpointed as to how you've got to where you are? Well, I mean, I, I did, as I said, I did my business studies degree, which sort of, I focused on marketing, but really have never done a marketing role. I've always done sales roles, actually. That was prior to coming into general management and did sales. So I'm a naturally competitive individual. I love a challenge. And I think so that sort of stood me in great stead as I've gone through my career. And I suppose the other thing for me is I've always been really keen to learn. I've never been complacent. I'm probably my own worst critic. So I've always pushed myself and never sort of felt quite good enough. And that's really kept me going and led me to be, you know, I got the, the cliche, but, the, you know, the best of, of myself because just keep on demanding more of, you know, um, what I do. So I think that's probably the key attributes. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And Bruce, we'll look at Montezuma's in just a second, but fascinated to know, you know, you've worked for some big businesses in the past. Montezuma, much more of the SME, fast growth style business. What were the what was the process you went through in your mind to make that leap from, I guess, the relative safety of large corporate life into a much smaller, more nimble business? You're absolutely right. I mean, I I, I loved working. I got some great training in some very large blue chip organizations. Love that. It stretched me a huge amount. But the opportunity to work in an SME in a general management role was just uh, too exciting to me. I, I suppose I love the variety that it brings. I love the speed and the agility that is required. So I don't regret any of the career moves I've had, but just this for me, being in a general management role in a chocolate company or and a growing fantastic brand, branded chocolate company was just you know, for me, as I said, the, the dream job. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. And for the uninitiated, Bruce, give us an introduction to Montezuma's, if you will, because there's a fascinating story there. So, yeah, share with us a bit more about the business. Yeah, so you mentioned earlier on Simon and Helen. So they set up the business in 2000. But prior to that, they started out as lawyers. And in the late 90s, they decided that the legal profession wasn't for them. And they uh, packed their jobs in. I think much of their parents, you know, dismay. And they uh, ended up traveling around South America. And that's where they ended up. I think they were camping on in cocoa plantations and they were visiting chocolate shops and, and so on in South America. And that's where they had their epiphany. So they came back and I think probably they would admit themselves not really knowing a huge amount, but they knew that's what they wanted to do. They did a lot of reading and they, they opened a shop in Brighton. That was the first shop. And they had planned to outsource all their production. So they uh, had found a manufacturer. And I think it was a week before the shop was due to go open. They uh, weren't getting any... Um, communication back from this this factory and so on they went down to visit it and there was big sort of it was all boarded up and the company had gone into administration so it was literally a week before that they had to start producing their own chocolate so it was never the intention to produce their own chocolate but they did and consequently we're still based down just outside Chichester 
We make all our own chocolate here. So we have our factory. We don't outsource anything. And it's been a journey of, yes, 21 years now. So we had a 20th anniversary last year. In 2019, Simon and Helen, they took some external investments. So they're still very much involved with the business. They're minority shareholders. And we now um, had some investment from um, a private equity business called Invalid. So uh, they are the majority shareholders and yeah, so that's the, uh, the structure of the business now brilliant interesting story and wow what a departure from law into the food industry which back then i imagine was uh, more than a leap of faith yeah and i suppose we can't avoid talking a bit about covid uh, bruce how's covid impacted you the business the team yeah covid was definitely a, a challenge i mean i'm two years into the business and so it's been quite a um, an interesting first two years in in my journey here, I mean, we have six of our shops or six retail stores, so they had to close for and have done for obviously for every lockdown. So that's been a, a massive challenge for the business. I mean, the first one we had to, it was literally a couple of weeks before Easter. So we had all our Easter eggs in our stores. So we had to bring them all back to, to, to the factory here. Then inevitably our online business absolutely went through the roof. So then we were all hands on deck packing online parcels and so on. So that it was just you know, the sheer sort of speed at which all these things happened and changed was has you know, been incredible. Obviously, we had to to uh, transition to sort of home working and so on for a lot of people. Albeit, actually, I mean, for me, COVID's been quite different, actually, because I've probably spent 75% of my time in the office. I always sort of felt that I could do my job from home, but I felt a responsibility to be in the office. There was a, you know, a number of people here who are working in the factory that clearly they can't work from home. So, actually being visible and so on for me was really important so yeah we've you know ironically had a, a very good year actually we'll finish our financial year sort of 20 percent up but it's uh, certainly been uh, not quite the the original business plan that we had for this year yeah wow that i mean 20 percent up bruce that that's impressive by anyone's standards with the last 12 months that we've had but i, I guess again it shows the strength of having more of an omni-channel business approach you've, you've you've had places to turn you know you've had ups absolutely yeah you've had downs but you've had ups as well yeah and fascinated to know uh, we'll, we'll talk about you know the values of the business but Let's talk a bit about B Corp because I know you're working hard or working towards becoming B Corp accredited. Why is that important for you as a as an organisation, Bruce? It felt very much like a natural progression. It actually, Helen had started that process before I just before I'd arrived, actually. And I think it's always been a very much a values led business, and uh, it just felt like a, a natural thing to do. So we started the process two years ago. To be fair, we probably put it on pause for a year during COVID, just simply because we had other things going on. We're very much back in the frame now trying to, to get our accreditation. I think what going through the B Corp process, there are 200 questions and so on. Uh, you have to get a, pass, a, a score of 80 points or more. And I think we started off at around 57. So we thought, although we thought we were good, we weren't as good as we, we thought we were. So we have spent the last two years putting a number of things in, in place, actually. So we are now literally on 79 points so we're one point off and we are literally just trying to get over the line so i'm really hopeful that in june that we'll be able to go to b corp and and submit our plan and hopefully then we'll get accreditation you know very very soon brilliant brilliant and from the research i've done bruce i kind of spotted that actually these values have kind of always been there i think certainly i read this phrase business done properly which I really liked. Could you share with us a little bit more about that? Because that stems from the founders, doesn't it, I believe? Yeah, I mean, so, so business done properly has been around for a while now. And I think that's why we sort of naturally thought that 
B Corp was the obvious place to sort of go. I suppose business done properly, what does that mean for us? I mean, as a chocolate company, the, the immediate thing that everybody thinks about is your cocoa sourcing. What, how, you know, if you're ethical, what is your cocoa sourcing? And we have, you know, all our chocolate is certified and we absolutely ensure the sort of, you know, that, that we buy more expensive, we pay a premium for our chocolate because that supports farmers and, and so on and so forth. But for me, that is just one element of business done properly. All our suppliers have to sign up to our supplier code of conduct. We never use palm oil. So that's a, another sort of facet of being uh, business done properly. It's cheaper to use vegetable oil, but we would never do that. So there's a quality element there, but also just a business done properly element. We, as far as our packaging is concerned, we used to have foil um, around all of our bars and we removed all of that because we wanted to go to fully recyclable uh, compostable biodegradable packaging so we changed all of that back in January 2020. Uh, other examples are we used to I mean if you think back now it's ridiculous almost but we used to have our eco packaging that was brought in from China and then you think of the the transport miles to bring it in so now we don't bring anything in from China all of our packaging comes in from either the UK or mainland Europe so it, it's things like that I think that we're just trying to do every element I, you know we're, we're an ethical business I would never suggest for a moment that we're very worthy we're not trying to solve world poverty or world hunger or any of those sort of um, big missions but i think as long as we can come to work and do business you know with a good conscience that we can sleep well at night i suppose that's ultimately it's do you think it's the right thing to do uh, and if it feels right then it probably is the right thing to do and it's we're certainly not ticking boxes it's very much around the core ethos of the business and so one, one other example i think is a good one i just talking about payment terms for example so any business any supplier of ours that is smaller than us we will guarantee payment within 30 days because we know as a small growing business that having cash flow is so critical so when you're not being paid by your, your customers it's really really hard yards so it's those kind of things that, that are really really important to us I think it's really good, Bruce. I suppose it's role modelling as well, isn't it, for how businesses can still be profitable and grow and and achieve what people traditionally, uh, you know, perceive as success, but doing it in in a responsible manner. And the benefits, yeah, I, I guess are on multiple different levels. And yeah, I can absolutely understand how kind of becoming B Corp is just a natural progression for, for the business from what I understand you guys to stand for. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned there about recent investment. I'm fascinated to know because I think it's private equity investment, isn't it, that uh, the business has had. I'm fascinated to know as a business leader, when you've got investment like that, what kind of opportunities does it bring? You know, more money in the bank, et cetera, I'm guessing. But what opportunities does that bring? But also, what sort of challenges does that bring as a leader, Bruce, with that added investment? Yeah, I have to say, I mean, when I was interviewed for the job, I was certainly a little bit nervous around the whole private equity piece because, you know, one hears some horror stories. So there's, a, there's a you know stereotypical view of what private equity is like. It's all about profits, asset stripping in order to sell and make a profit and, you know, leave behind whatever is left in due course. And so I did, you know, a reasonable amount of due diligence um, beforehand. I have said my experience of private equity is anything but that stereotype. So our private equity owners of Inverleith, they're a small boutique private equity. They own five businesses of which we're one. And they... I think one of the key things actually for them is that they used to work in FMCG. So they understand, you know, there is a business plan and clearly that's what we're aiming to do, but things don't always necessarily happen as you expect. And, and COVID is a prime mm. example of that. So you know, they are very pragmatic, incredibly supportive. 
very hands off. They let me get on with it. And I think that's really liberating that actually I feel incredibly supported in terms of you know, me as a leader, frankly, it hasn't really changed me as a person. They're, they're just the people that ultimately I report to and, and justify what we're doing and develop and, and strategy and so on. And I feel very sort of liberated to be the leader that I always was. I'm, I'm not actually trying to be anything that, uh, that, I, that I haven't been in, in previous roles. I suppose the magic balance, Bruce, just if I hear you correct, is clearly, you know, all fast growth businesses need money and need investment. But I guess the magic uh, balance is to have an investor who shares those uh, beliefs and values and, and vision of how to do business in the same way that you do. And it sounds like there's a definite chemistry, there's a match with your investors, which is great. Absolutely, very much so. And I think, you know, they knew that they were buying into a, an ethical business and, and that's what the brand stands for. So you, you, you can't suddenly change the whole brand ethos. And so they are very supportive of, you know, yes, we have to grow sales and make profit and so on, but actually the broader responsibilities we have around our people or our suppliers or the environment is just as important because otherwise, you know, frankly, your credibility, your authenticity is completely blown out of the water. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Now, before I go to my next question, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Obvious Candidate. Obvious Candidate was founded by Sam Waterfall, aka London's Global Career Coach. And I'm delighted to collaborate with Sam as he has a truly unique approach to helping you get the job you really want. Having begun his own career in brand management at Procter & Gamble, Sam understands marketing. And he's the only career coach I ever recommend. Why? Well, simply because he gets results. As the founder of Obvious Candidate, Sam has 18 years experience in helping people to position themselves as the number one obvious candidate, head and shoulders above the competition. He successfully worked with people who've gone on to land jobs with the International Olympic Committee, the World Economic Forum, Nike, Amazon, Virgin, Red Bull Racing, Rolls-Royce to name just a few. Essentially, if your job search is taking too long or you're struggling to get the job offers you really want, then Sam is your man. Now, Sam and I have put together an exclusive offer for you, the listeners, where he's prepared to offer you for free a video introduction to his amazing precision networking method. And he'll also give you, again, for free, a copy of his Dream 30 networking tracker. This helps you to organize, structure, and guide your approach to effective networking. I've seen it, it's superb, and it is a proven strategy that gets results. To reach out to Sam and take advantage, simply go to www.obviouscandidate.com forward slash leader. Do it today. You won't regret it. Your next big job is waiting for you. Moving on to leadership, Bruce, you've worked in some large corporates, obviously Montezuma, a small, fast growth business, but leadership has been a theme for a number of years for you and the roles you've done. So keen to know, in your opinion, yeah, what does good leadership look like? That is a huge question, Jonathan. Um, and there are <laughs> many books written about these things. So um, I don't know, let, let me... We've got time, Bruce. We've got time. <laughs> so I think uh, I'll start off with having really clear goals and clear priorities. I think everyone needs to know exactly what they're doing. Some businesses and uh, or teams that I've worked in have almost had too many and then they become a bit distracted because it changes from you know month to month and so on. I think having too many goals is also a, a, the wrong thing to do. So being really clear on what the goals are, don't have too many, I think would be one. And then you know keep reappraising those goals as well because we're, we're living in the times that change dramatically so don't just be completely set so that would be the first one clear goals and priorities 
The second one for me would be around communication. I really try and ensure that the whole organization is fully up to speed with what's happening. I think it's very easy for businesses to go into their own individual silos and so on. And I've been in those businesses where, you know, you, you assume that everyone knows everything, but actually, you know, they don't know what the left hand is doing or the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So communication is really important. You, you referred also earlier on actually to role modeling. And I think that is so important. I think as a leader, you don't really realize it, but people are listening to everything you say. They're listening to how you say it. They're listening to what you listening. Yeah, they're watching what you do and how you do it. So you do cast quite a long shadow. So being consistent, being values led, I think that builds trust with your team. And I think that's really important because when you have trust with your team, then that really does enable the, the team to be really effective. So that was my third one, being a role model. A bit of humility. I work in a very down-to-earth organization and that that works for me. I don't take life too seriously. Yes, you know, the business is serious, but you know, you can't take yourself too seriously. I certainly don't think I know it all. And actually, I really encourage people to challenge me because I think if you you can, you know, if people think that you as a leader, the leader can't be challenged, then it becomes very much an autocracy and, and bad things happen then. So I think I really encourage, as long as it's done respectfully, I think it's brilliant to have a really good sort of constructive challenge culture. And the final one for me is around teamwork because ultimately you just can't do it on your own. Individuals, you know, for me, I work, you know, if my, you know, if I don't produce chocolate, then I've got nothing to sell. And, you know, so all of those things just naturally have to come together. So all of those things link um, very naturally together, I think. But um, those, those are my five. That's brilliant, Bruce. And I, I think to pick up on one of your points, listen, if you can't have fun in a chocolate business like yours, I, I, I can't imagine you'd be able to have fun anywhere, really, <laughs> with what I understand about your business. You know, I mean, you're absolutely right. And that, I mean, actually, interestingly, COVID has had a sort of almost a negative effect in there because there's been many more people home working. Actually, the vibe in the office has been much more sort of sterile. So can't wait to get everybody back in the business because there's just much more, you know, banter, humour and, and laughter in the office, which is actually just infectious. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether you feel leadership's changed at all, Bruce, in, in recent times. Yeah, have you got any thoughts on that? Do you think there's been a shift, especially with the, the pandemic? Has there been a shift in, you know, the way people have to lead and guide and motivate teams of people? I think it's definitely different. I think probably it's accentuated the good leaders from the bad leaders. Obviously, leading from, you know, remotely is, is, is definitely very different. I think one thing that I just highlight recently and, and we've signed up is, is the, the Better Business Act, which is being sort of co-sponsored by uh, or co-chaired by B Corp and also Innocent Drink, so Douglas Lamont from Innocent. Mm. And that really is about trying to encourage government to change the law around mandating companies to make all their decisions considering not just profit, but people and the planet as well. And I think if we can do that, and there's, there's a number of signatures that already done, I think that people, that feels like the right thing to do. And it probably, you know, it is the right thing to do, but probably increasingly, it's the smart thing to do. And Douglas, when I've heard him talk about, you know, yes, companies need to compete. And that's, that's just, you know, that, that's an inevitability around sort of, you know, free market economy and so on. But there's actually increasingly a lot more collaboration. And you see a lot more collaboration now, particularly around you know, the environment and packaging, what can we do collectively to make things things better? So I think that's probably, the, I suppose, the, the, the demonstrations of good leadership that I've seen in, in recent months. Yeah, fascinating. And the Better Business Act, Bruce, actually, my organisation, we've just signed up to it because I can't agree more. I think as an organisation, 
we've all got a responsibility and the collective power is greater than the individual. And yeah, if we're going to tackle some of these larger issues, whether it be climate change, societal issues, political, actually with the might of businesses, wow, actually we could go about creating some real change. And I guess the whole B Corp thing, as good as it is, clearly it's it takes time. So I think the Better Business Act is a great stepping stone. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the Going into B Corp is is a long journey unless you have to be an amazing organisation already. You know, it is a two or three year journey, whereas being a signatory to the Better Business Act is something that you can do very, very quickly. And is, it is very simple. It's just one early step. And so for anyone listening, I would really encourage um, them to, to look on the, the website and sign up. Yeah, definitely. Well said, well said. And as a business leader, Bruce, you must spin many, many plates, especially in a fast growth business like the one you're in. So keen to understand as a leader, what parts of the business or in terms of your time? Yeah. Where do you spend most of your time to make the most impact? Oh, that's a t- yeah, I spin a lot of plates. I suppose that's the, the, the nature of the job. I mean, my, as I said, my, my background is sales. So I definitely sort of gravitate to customers. I've just love knowing what's happening. And we have a, such a wide variety of, of customers from small independents to, to big grocery multiples and then, and then customers in the US and so on. So that's, that's definitely an area that I, I love to sort of uh, find out more about. I've heard recently, uh, and what was new to me coming to Montezuma's is actually retail stores. So that is, you know, fascinating. And I know there's been a lot of talk around the high street dying and so on. We tend to have a slightly different view here that we think actually if you can you've got a fantastic customer experience actually the high street is a fantastic place it's it's great for brand awareness and, and so on and consumers love it so we are just about to open our seventh store in oxford tomorrow so that's really exciting so um very very um excited to, to go up there because i think it's going to be a fantastic store and then we've also yeah. signed uh, a deal on a store in guildford as well so that will open in in about four weeks time so the retail stores is definitely taking quite a big focus for me at the moment. And then I know that later in this year, we've got to increase our capacity in the factory. So I know that the, the sales side will take more of a sort of a backseat and I'll be very much involved in the in the production capacity. We've got a whole new production line coming in. So the back end of this year, we're going to have to reconfigure our factory uh, ready for that new machine to go in. So yeah, a lot of plates and there's a few other things going on. But I suppose the other thing actually that I have been getting involved with is the environment. So we don't yet have an environmental manager, dedicated one in the business. So as part of B Corp, I have really, really read up a huge amount around that and just trying to understand our carbon footprint and our scope one, two, three and emissions, which I knew nothing about six months ago, is just been fascinating. And it, I think as much as you learn, it then opens up a whole load of questions that things that you didn't know. But that's, you know, it's it's vital that you know we do everything that we can to reduce our, our carbon footprint. So that's been a big area of focus for me. I suppose in terms of having the greatest impact is, a, is, is about communication because there is so many things happening at the moment across our business. We're growing rapidly, but making sure that everybody knows what each other is doing or where the business is, is heading is, is so important. So just communication, communication has been, been very, very top of mind recently. Interesting. Yeah, I think we all operate in a world now, Bruce, which is, it's so noisy, isn't it? It's such a noisy place. And I'm always fascinated as business leaders, how you divide your time, where you 
spend your time to make the most impact. And yeah, as I said, lots of plates spinning, which I can imagine, you know, can be bewildering for a lot of people. But yeah, interested to get your views on that. Then just coming back to co- thrive off it, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I suppose. Uh, I love the variety. Yeah, yeah, especially in it. Well, I guess you have to in a business like yours, Bruce, um, the fact that every day potentially is different from the next. And uh, yeah, if you don't enjoy that then maybe a small fast growth SME isn't the one for you I suppose <laughs> and and just touching upon COVID Bruce what have you learned about yourself in the last 12 months as we've gone through this turbulent um, period in our lives yeah it's um I, I think I've I mean ironically I've been in the office a lot actually but then I, while I've been in the office not everybody else has so we we've survived on as has everybody else on on Zoom and Teams and, and so on I think I definitely know I get energy and ideas from people. So the fact that we haven't had that has been quite challenging. It's very difficult to do strategy work on Zoom or, or Teams. It just, it's really, really, you just don't spark off one another. And we actually, interestingly, about probably back in February, we actually, having had our, you know enough of Teams, we actually went and had a meeting, one of our exec team meetings. We had it in our warehouse, socially distanced, obviously, but it was February. We were all in blankets, hot water bottles, hats, and, and goodness knows what else. But we all came away and just said to each other, oh my God, it just it was amazing to feel like a team again. Just because we yeah. actually could read the body language, you could interrupt people and, and so on, which is very difficult to do. On, on Everyone's very polite on video conferences because you have to be and but that whole dynamic and so on just got a huge amount of energy just from a two-hour meeting in a warehouse in February. Yeah it's interesting I think a lot of people have, have echoed that Bruce and underestimated the power of just you know be, being around one another I suppose and vibing off one another I know there's huge debates at the moment about you know people being in offices or working from home but I think we've all really come full circle and understood that actually there's great value in just being around one another and, and working as a team and, and actually, you know, Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and other platforms are available, but all those bits of technology are fantastic. But actually, can anything really replace being there in a room with your key team, vibing off one another? I think people have really kind of come full circle on that a little bit, haven't they? Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. And also for young people as well, just just watching and learning from people who are more experienced. I think you, you know, forget that. And it's so for the next generation of leaders, they, they need to to watch people. And you can't do that on, on a video conference. Definitely. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point, actually. Certainly a lot of the people that you know, I work with to secure jobs. It's something I'm very conscious of. One of the things I always encourage is, look, job title, salary, of course, that's important. But are you surrounding yourself with the right people? What are they going to do for you over the next two, three, four, five years? Are you going to learn from them? And it is a bit harder if your job is 100% based from home and you're doing it remotely. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think it is just a bit harder, isn't it, really? Yeah, I agree. And it's a skill. I, I've recognised that as well, Bruce, that interviewing over zoom and these platforms it's a skill in itself some people are better at it than others some people are better face to face than others in the same way that some people are great stood up in front of a boardroom and and others perhaps aren't so it's a skill that perhaps will be learned by future generations more so than you and I who you know are still perhaps getting to grips with it obviously yeah any other unexpected positives Bruce you know I mentioned there about work-life balance and clearly there's it's been a real uptick in the focus on mental health and stuff which is great so any other unexpected positives you'll take away from the last 12 months I I think I mean I I mean I've I've said 
you know, video conferences is challenging, but it does definitely, it can make your time more efficient. You know, you don't have to be face-to-face -face with everybody. I think building rapport, new relationships, face-to-face -face is absolutely critical, but I think there is a role for, for video conferencing. Just even buyer meetings and so on can be done without having to travel all the way up to where, you know, wherever it is, you know, Liverpool, Manchester from Chichester is, you know, that takes a whole day out. Actually, you can have a half hour, one hour meeting and so on very, very, very easily. So that's a key thing. And certainly, I mean, it's mental health week this week, actually, and there's a big focus for us. So I think being aware of how people are managing and so on is being, you know, uh, a big wake up call for, for, for many of uh, us, in, including me. Mm, yeah, brilliant. And a final couple of questions, Bruce. What does the future hold for Montezuma's? I, I guess it's difficult in the current climate to think too far ahead with how quickly the world's changing. But yeah, what's the vision? What's the future? More store openings and things? Yes. So we're literally just about to start our financial year. So it starts in June. So we've just agreed the business plan and so on. We, we're planning to grow by 50% this year. So we will open yeah, three new shops this year. So I've mentioned a couple, maybe maybe even a fourth, actually. So we'll be up to 10 shops by the end of the year. So definitely a retail strategy. But but also, I mean, you mentioned earlier on Omnichannel. So we're still trying to extend our, we've got fantastic business in the US, but definitely export now that sort of Brexit is out of the way and, and COVID is out of the way. I think export definitely is, is, is a big opportunity for us. And also online. We know that obviously online benefited massively from COVID and so on, but we will relaunch our subscription model. I think the whole subscription business across all manner of different categories has exploded and uh, it's something that we're, we're going to focus on. So it's it's a lot of growth in, in a lot of areas, but we're, as I say, expecting some some big growth this year. Yeah, well, I'll do my bit, Bruce. I'll try and spend some of my coppers in, uh, in your new Oxford store, which I'm very much looking forward to visiting. You're very kind. Yeah, no problem at all. And, and finally, I suppose, knowing what you know now, Bruce, what would you tell your younger self in terms of career advice? Oh, that's a good question. I suppose if I was looking back, I probably played it quite safe when I was in my, in my youth. I worked for some large organisations, but they were very, I suppose, safe organisations and, and very little risk taking. So no regrets there. But probably had I believed in myself more at that point, I could have taken more risks and had a lot more fun. I love the SME world. It's it's fast paced and, and vibrant. And I wish I'd probably done that earlier in my career. Yeah, interesting. So that sounds like you found the right environment, Bruce, where the nature of, you know, the fast pace, the variety fits you very, very well. And I think I said at the beginning, deny that sometimes by going off and doing something that's not right. It helps you get back on track, doesn't it? It helps you figure out what right looks like. Because it's something that certainly, you know, I include myself in this, a lot of younger people, they struggle to figure out what does right look like. So I, I try and encourage them to just, you know, say yes, try things. And that helps you figure this stuff out. But it's not an overnight journey, is it? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, my career planets have aligned, but it, you know, it's it, as you sort of said, it's it's important to know what you don't want to do as much as you what you do want to do. So yeah, doing some things and taking some chances and, and so on that maybe don't work out is not a bad thing. Brilliant. Yeah, great advice. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. It's been great to get a bit of insight into your world and what's going on. I wish you all the very best for the future. I'll, I'll keep in contact with you. And yeah, thanks for investing the time with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Not at all. And uh, look forward to seeing you in our Oxford store. Brilliant. Cheers, Bruce. Take care. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye then. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this episode valuable. 
Don't forget to subscribe so you get notified about all future episodes. I'm working really hard to keep bringing you inspirational leaders from the food and drink industry that we can all learn from. And if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. It really helps spread the podcast far and wide. And finally, as you've probably noticed, my passion is to help businesses thrive through the power of people. Like the very best leaders of today, I understand how creating purpose-led cultures with high levels of trust and employee engagement leads to successful financial performance. Back in 2011, I founded Leader Executive to help companies outperform the market by focusing on the human element of their business, their people. As a well-respected talent solutions partner, we collaborate with food and drink businesses across our four business pillars, design, hire, develop, inspire. To find out more about how we can help you outperform your competition by focusing on the human element of your business, then reach out to me on john at leaderexecutivesearch.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Until next time on the Leader Insight Series podcast, take care. 